Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Disney Vault Talk. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm listening too. From magical movies, all it takes is faith and trust. Oh, and something I forgot. To unforgettable adventures. Well, once there was a princess. I'm an outlaw, that's what. That's no life for a lovely lady always on the run. From the thrill of the theater to the comfort of your home. Do you want to build a snowman? Ride our bike around the world. I don't care how you kill the little beast, but do it! And do it now! You can always count on something new from Disney. That's why they call me Thumper. Look, have I got it? The magic feather. Now you can fly. Ohana means family. Just a sec. Buzz, will you get up here and give me a hand? I'm taking you to someplace pretty special. You won't find him here. <laughs> the king has returned. Join us for discussion and commentary as we open the Disney Vault with your hosts, Steve Glosson and Teresa Delgado. Hello and welcome to the most magical podcast on the internet. This is Disney Vault Talk, our look at the movies of Walt Disney Studios, particularly particularly the animated movies. This episode, we're looking at The Princess and the Frog, the return to 2D theatrical animation for Walt Disney Studios. My name is Steve Glosson, along with me to do this just right... She is the heart and soul of Disney Vault Talk. She is the lovely, the talented, the powerful, Teresa Delgado. Hello, Teresa. Hello, Steve. This was supposed to be a resurgence of 2D. It really was. It and was supposed to be, and then it wasn't. It was not. We have stories to tell you today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and... and I don't. We'll get into it. I, I want to save all of my comments about the Princess and the Frog until we get to the Princess and the Frog. Uh, I will just say that I'm surprised that it is not. It was not the resurgence of 2D, um, because everything about it was beautiful and glorious, and and uh, I really enjoyed this movie. We'll talk about it when we get there. So yeah, and you know what? What I the one thing I want to talk about really quick has nothing to do with Disney anything, mm -hmm. but I haven't gotten to talk to you about this, and so I am almost caught up on Supergirl. Mm -hmm. And when Kara and Monel got together, I just about died. I was like, I'm so happy. <laughs> well, that's good. My co-host at over at uh, Starkville House of L, Derek Russell, he is not a fan of Monel. And well, Monel has some flaws. Okay, he's got a lot of flaws. Yeah, but he's adorable. Yeah, and oh, and they are cute. <laughs> I think. Listen, the the scene where they're talking at the end of the episode, and she's kind of like 
just saying, all right, I want to go for this, basically, was mm -hmm. she, Melissa Benoit, I think is how you pronounce her name, um, she did something to me in that because I'm just like, I have never been more attracted to Supergirl than I am right now. And the way that she was just talking, I don't know if it was yes. her hair or what, but I'm like, how you doing, Supergirl? Um, so, yeah, uh, you can check out Starkville House of L with Derek and I talking. We barely talk about the episodes. We just kind of talk around them and uh, having a good time doing that uh, over at uh, Starkville House of L. I don't, I don't know the website. I'm a bad person for that. That show has gotten so much better than the first season. And I like the first season, but it has improved well, I tell you, leaps I, and bounds. I miss Cat Grant uh, a lot. I do. That is one character I do miss a lot. And um, But I've really dug the stuff with uh, Lena Luther mm -hmm. and Lillian. Um, and uh, it's just there's this whole aspect of the Superman mythos. And I love Superman. He's my favorite superhero of all time. And so there's this whole aspect of the of the Superman mythos, the, kind of the sidebar of the Superman mythos that get that is getting explored, and is just really really cool. And and I just I'm loving it. Uh, I really do like the show. It's it's one of my favorite shows on television right now. Yeah. Well, and you know I've told you before I'm not a Superman fan. Right. This show could be changing my opinion of the Superman Supergirl that whole universe mm -hmm. because I love it so much. So. I might be a convert. Well, he's the best, and uh, we'll work on getting you some other stuff as we go along. Uh, <laughs> I'm expecting to get a whole bunch of Superman <laughs> toys from you now. Well, no, not toys. I'll just give you stuff. I'll give you viewing assignments and that sort of oh, thing. Oh, <laughs> okay, that. Well, I was looking forward to the toys. Oh, okay. oh, well, okay. I don't really have that many Superman toys. I have a statue, and that's about it, really. She needs a pop vinyl. Supergirl needs a pop vinyl. They have one, don't they? I don't know. I'm sure they do. All right. Well, um, anyway, you can I just check. Wanted to tell you that you can use the links at Entertainment Earth and uh, go find that Supergirl pop vinyl because they do have one. Um, or the Amazon link through Geek Out. Or the Amazon link at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. Support the shows when you do so. Uh, Teresa, we've got a show to get to. We got a lot of show, and uh, I know you've got a story to tell when it comes to. Princess of the Frog, before we do all that, let's jump into some emails. When you mail a letter, you can send it anywhere. On foot, by truck, by aeroplane, the postman gets it there. So write a letter to a friend, maybe she'll write you. No matter what, you always know the mail must go through. We need those letters. From General Lee, dear son, we're waiting for the Huns at the pass. It would mean a lot if you'd come and back us up. Now, can you read this? There's no pictures. Then I'll put that flea in a box, and then I'll put that box inside of another box, and then I'll nail that box to myself. And when it arrives, ah, 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 I'll smash it with a hammer. <laughs> uh -oh, all right, let's get into these emails. You want to take this one from Lauren from way back in September? Sure. Lauren, right, Lauren says... one of our super listeners... Yep, it says, my top 10 Disney animated movies. Hola, Teresa and Steve. I hope you're both doing well. I've listened to your podcast for top 10 animated movies. Where am I? I loved it. I thought I'd share my own top 10 list. All right, so here we go. Number 10, Frozen. Number 9, 101 Dalmatians. Number 8, Hunchback. Number 7, Lady and the Tramp. Number 6, Oliver and Company. Uh, number five, Jungle Book. Number 
four, Mulan. Number three, Lilo and Stitch. Number two, Aladdin. And number one, The Little Mermaid. And about The Little Mermaid, she says, This movie pretty much shaped my childhood. It was the first movie I saw in theaters that I really connected with. I love everything about it. So that's pretty awesome. And I wanted to comment that we've had our list of top ten movies, and we're going to have to do it again because as things change. But, Steve, I yes. have had a shift in my number one. Oh, wow. So it's not Lion King anymore? No. Lion King is number two. Wow. What what overtook the Lion King? Moana. What what was ousted from your top ten? I don't remember. Oh man. This is intense. I know. This is amazing. Breaking I'm serious. news. It, it it that movie hit me at the core of my soul the way that Tangled hit the core of my dear friend Sarah Woloski. Like Moana first I don't I cannot tell you what it was but it was definitely oh my god did it did it hit you in the feels as it were yeah okay i mean so like i walked out of that the first time i saw it and i was like is this better than lion king is this better than the little mermaid i just don't know and since i got it on blu-ray and i've watched it like 10 times i'm like yeah it is (laughs) (laughs) wow all right well Let's uh, let's continue on. Um. Well, David, we we got him, David. Yeah, we did. David Wahey. He says, "Well played, taking a two month break just to make absolutely sure I'd forget about sending you an email about the Yoda Seagull song. It worked. Well, David, you mentioned it." Not fun. I said seagulls. Mm. Stop it Stop now. It now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love, I can't get enough of the old seagull song. I'm sorry. It's just, <laughs> can't get enough. Um, He says, in honor of Disney Vault Talk's glorious return, I've written new lyrics to part of the, the seagull song. Where he says, everyone told me not to listen to the Goliverse, but I did. Said Steven's gonna come, play that Yoda song, and he did, and he did. That's right. <laughs> and I will continue to play it, for I continue to think it's one of the coolest things that we have. <laughs> well, here's a sweet um, story from Anthony, Teresa. Yeah, I know. This is really great. So he sent us an email, and the subject line is, May not, My not at Disney, but still Disney engagement story. He said, hi, Steve and Teresa. Big fan of the show. I've been listening to Steve for many years, happily geeking out with him on goal, shoe, know what I'm saying? And he said, rest in peace. I agree. Rest in power. Or that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the big honking show. But I've only become a fan of Disney in the last two years. Why, you ask? Because of a girl. Oh. (laughs) So this particular girl, her name is Nicole, and we recently got engaged this past summer. I wanted to share with you how I pulled things off since it's Disney-related. Since she's such a big Disney fan, 
Beauty and the Beast is one of her favorites, I knew I had to incorporate it into the proposal somehow. The night of, I took her to dinner at the restaurant we had our first real date in Jamestown, Rhode Island. It was a gorgeous summer night, and dinner went off without a hitch. Towards the end of our dinner, the music in the restaurant went silent. Then slowly, the instrumental theme to Tale as Old as Time started quietly playing over the restaurant's sound system. You go, boy. She looked a bit surprised, but immediately didn't suspect anything was up. The waitress came over stripped the table, and laid out a white tablecloth. As the music progressed, a second waiter slowly came over and placed a candelabra on the table and lit it. He was followed by a third waiter with a teapot and and chipped cup. And fourth with a mantel clock. And finally, a fifth with a covered serving tray filled with bright yellow flower petals to symbolize Belle's dress. And he did include some photos. He said, at that point, I said something. I don't remember what at this point my head was such a blur and removed the top from the serving tray. Yellow petals fell everywhere and the ring box was underneath. I got down on one knee and the rest is history. Nicole is one of the biggest fans I've ever met. She's been to Disney around 14 to 15 times and recently completed the Disney Princess Half Marathon in Orlando. I know she listens to this podcast on her longer runs on the weekend, so hopefully she hears this. Thanks for taking the time to read my email. Thanks again, and keep up the great work, Anthony. And he did a wonderful job. They are an adorable couple. I'm so glad they got the Just Engaged buttons. And, uh... Small to say the least Oh, a little scared Neither one So, I do want to say they spent a lot of time there um, once all this had been laid out for them. Mm-hmm. Because when you see the one, you see the picture of the candelabra and everything there on the table as it is, and then when you get to the next picture, those two sitting together, those candles have burnt down significantly. <laughs> yes. So they have. that's that's my uh, <laughs> that's my stupid observation of this. <laughs> Such a sweet story. Wow, you guys sat there a long time. Those candles really burnt down. <laughs> That's a Man. great story. I mean, it chokes me up when I read it because it's so romantic and sweet and just what an awesome guy. Way to go, Anthony. Yeah, well done. My well done, engagement sir. was not like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and wow. Now, okay. <laughs> what? Here's, here's my engagement story, okay? All right. We're at Disney World. Okay. We're on the monorail. Nice. We're going to magic kingdom but instead he says no let's go to the contemporary and i'm confused but i'm also dumb and i'm like okay and so we go to the contemporary and we go to this little outside railing thing at the contemporary hotel and he proceeds to tell me you know this is where he went and when he decided that he had fallen in love with me and that he wanted to stay and spend more time with me on the disney trip we were at we were on when um when we met and all this stuff. And then he asked me to marry him. And there's no ring. There's no nothing. It was just us standing (laughs) there. And I said, yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) So then we go into Magic Kingdom, and the first picture of us as a newly engaged couple is after we rode Buzz Lightyear um, lightsaber, or not lightsaber, Buzz Lightyear's whatever thing. And um, there's a little area in the shop where you can climb in like prison bars mm-hmm. where Zerg is. So we climb inside the prison bars and take a picture. Oh, happy engagement. <laughs> happy engagement. But it was at Disney and that's it's special. 
It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it that's, that's cool. Yeah, well, no, there was no ring, but you know, it's kind of funny. Like, I think a lot of people put a lot of expectations on it, and he did it when he felt like <clears throat> he was ready and he knew what he wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know, that he wanted to ask me, and there wasn't a ring there, but I didn't need one. It's all good. There you go. Well, congratulations to you on your engagement, Teresa. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. It's like six years ago. Oh, and congratulations to Anthony as well and Nicole. And Nicole, if you're running, what are you running from? <laughs> you can stop. Uh, our final email comes from Matt. He says he's a new fan. Matt, we don't have fans. We have listeners. That's the only thing I'll take you to task on. He says, hey there, Stephen Therese. I recently found Disney Vault talking really uh, have been really enjoying it. I listened to your episode on Hercules, quite possibly my favorite Disney film, top five for sure, while flying from Toronto to Orlando for a family Disney World vacation at the start of March. I was bummed that on your top ten Disney TV shows, neither one of you had Disney's Fillmore, or more importantly, Kim Possible. Teresa, you almost had Kim Possible, didn't you? No. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought I would send my top ten music list, at least as of today, as... Well, uh, can you tell I love me a top 10 list? Yeah, number 10, Let It Go from Frozen. Uh, I Want to Be Like You, Jungle Book, Friend Like Me from Aladdin. Number 7 is Zippity Doodah from Song of the South. Number 6, Why Should I Worry. Number 5, here are the top 5. Here's the top 5. One Little Slip from Chicken Little. Zero to Hero from Hercules. Make a Man Out of You from Mulan. Strangers Like Me from Tarzan. And Matt's number one Disney song, You're Welcome. From Moana. Keep up the great work, guys, and that's from Matt. He says, I feel sometimes it feels like an attempt at self-promotion when someone writes an email to one show and casually mentions their own show. So this part you can feel free not to read on your show. Done. Not reading it. Just kidding. I have a podcast called Another Damn Trivia Show. (laughs) That's the name, guys. Why this might interest you is because episodes 25, 50, 75, 100, 125, 150, and 175 are all dedicated to Disney trivia. I'd be curious how you guys do. Once again, great show, guys. Well, maybe on a future episode, Teresa, we can um, go get go grab one of his episodes of another darn um, TV, another darn trivia podcast, yeah. and, and oh, try them cool. out. We'll we'll put you to the we'll put you to the test, so to speak. Uh trivia tests and see and see how you do um i i've been doing this quiz up thing on the on the old uh, i iPhone. love quiz up and play me uh, i don't know what topics you're on what you follow any of them i'll do them all well i'm on i'm in the top 10 in georgia in star wars right now oh nice so that was fun that was nice to get to also i'm stalling because i'd forgotten to stick one drop into the uh, thing so <laughs> Figured something was going on, but you know. I mean, Quiz Up's a great game. Pulling the curtain back. There's Disney stuff on it. I'm scared to get in the Disney because I hate losing. All right, here we go. Disney Watch time. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch yourself. Who goes there? Watch it. 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 Disney Watch. All right, what do we got, Teresa? All right, so this first thing is predictions for Beauty and the Beast at the box office and how it could break box office records for its opening weekend, which is fast coming. I get to see it tomorrow. Super excited about it. But what they said in this article is that 
there's a good sign considering that Finding Dory pulled in $135 million in its domestic opening weekend last June. A month after that, Civil War debuted to $179 million. So there is a good chance that Beauty and the Beast could be putting itself on that same path right now. They have predicted that Beauty and the Beast opening weekend will land around $120 million. An opening that is approaching last year's Civil War debut would give Beauty and the Beast a shot to top March's all-time record box office opening set last year by Batman v Superman, which was $166 million. I think they're estimating low, personally. Really? Yeah, I really do. Okay. I really do. I I just have heard so many people talking, like my friends talking about this movie, and that they're going like mm-hmm. twice over the weekend and things like that. So I really do think they are estimating very, very low. Uh, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens. I'm excited. I, the, I'm, the original, the you know, the original Disney animated version. I've been surprised at how much that it it actually meant to a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. as I've been seeing the internet buzz on it. And again, now we live in this little bubble. You know, we live in a bubble of fandom. And so, but at the same time, it's really, as I said, it's very interesting to see just, just how much people were really impacted by the original animated version and how much all the stuff they've shown, you know, the trailers and and the different things have gotten people excited because it seems to adhere so much to the, the original animated version, which I think is, for this story, I think is pretty important. Mm-hmm. The press tour has been really good too. Listening to all of the interviews and all that stuff, and I've enjoyed all the late night shows with everybody on them. I know tonight, as we're recording this, it's March fifteenth. The James Corden show, the Late Late Show, is going to have Joss Gad, Luke Stevens, or Luke Evans, and uh, someone else. They're going to do some sort of crazy dress up singing thing. Mm. So that should be entertaining, to say the least. All right, this next story that we have, there was an article released on Business Insider, and it was looking at the highest-grossing Disney films every year since 1937 and what those films were. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily the highest-grossing film, of but the, the highest-grossing Disney film. Right. So what I think is interesting, So, and we know this, but for 20, 2016 was Rogue One. Mm-hmm. 2015 was The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. 2014 is Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. 2013 is Iron Man 3. Yep. 2012, The Avengers. Of course it was. 2011, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Hmm. And then it takes, uh, we have to go all the way back to 2010 to get to an animated movie. Mm -hmm. 2010 is Toy Story 3. Right. And it's Pixar. And then Pixar dominates, let's see, in 2010, Toy Story 3, 2009, up. 2008, Wally, and then they are Pixar stops there, and it goes back to Pirates mm-hmm. at World's End. So, and then all the Pirates movies have been the number one, and it's it, there's so many live action in Pixar to get to a Disney film that is traditionally animated. The, we have to go to that's not Pixar. That's not Pixar. We have to go to 2000 for Dinosaur. Yeah. And even, I don't know if I would even really count that. Well, we did uh, it. I mean, it's in our, it's in the enumerated films. It is. So if we go to like 2D animation. <clears throat> okay. Hercules in 97. Wow. 
Yeah. So some 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It is. I. It's pretty stunning to me to think that all these movies that are in my head, you mm-hmm. know, just so it's that bubble that you talk about. Mm-hmm. This bubble that I live in of these animated movies and stuff that they really, they weren't the number one moneymaker. There were all these other live actions. Yeah, but you know what? There's also a lot of stuff from Touchstone mm-hmm. uh, as you get into the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and 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 even down into the apparently even down into the like splash i mean splash had to be in a touch tone uh picture as well as maybe never cry i don't know what never cry wolf is um but yeah it's not until you get on down into the uh early 80s into the 70s and everything that everything is a pure walt disney studios film and then there's a lot of the live action stuff throughout those years as well but at least you know they're pure disney films and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Touchstone and, and some of these other things that Disney own, like, I believe, like, they've got signs in the Sixth Sense, and I think those are from New Line Cinemas. And I think that Disney owned New Line for a little bit, um, mm-hmm. or the Weinstein Company or something. And so, or or uh, Miramax is what I think they are, maybe. And so it's just, it's kind of a, I don't know, I'd like to see some of those other side things stripped away to see then what it looks like right. on there. And in 1991, Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's just pretty. It's just a really cool, really cool article that I found. And like you said, there is a bunch of stuff from yeah. Touchstone and all of that. And so I would like to see this list too, with just Disney films, not anything that they owned on the side, mm-hmm. to see what it was. I would be interested in that. Now let's see. Uh, Tangled Before Ever After premiered, actually premiered over my birthday last week, and I watched it, mm-hmm. and that's all I've got for you right now at the moment. Um, oh. Well, we're going to talk a lot about it on our next episode when okay. we do Tangled. All right. So, I watched it. I'm going to have to watch it again before I really have a good opinion of it, Um. I like that the voices are the same as the people that were actually in the movie. Mm-hmm. That's cool. But as far as anything other than that, I don't feel like it's going to be fair for me to say anything until after I watch it again. Okay. Uh, and also, I need to listen to an episode of Skywalking Through Neverland where they did some interviews or they were at a press junket for it. Mm-hmm. I think it... Well, you know, I guess that says something about the show, right? I have to learn more about the show and what they're doing with the show in order for me to be able to watch it to enjoy it. So I don't know what that says for myself. Well, I know what it says to me. What does it say? <laughs> Go ahead. To no, me, really. to me, you didn't enjoy it, and and that's okay that you didn't enjoy it. I mean, it's you know, the, all these things are subjective, and there may be people who absolutely love it. And mm-hmm. but I mean, if you have to. It, it, a, a show, any show, and this is this is not just Disney, but this is everything. Uh, any any type of entertainment should be able to stand on its own without you ever having to talk to creators or people behind the scenes and be like, "Now, what is the, what is this now? Help me appreciate this more." You know, mm-hmm. any stuff like that should only further the enjoyment that you've already had. So, you yeah, know. you know, it's kind of interesting. Like, 
I think I've been so engulfed in the Disney Junior world of like Elena Vavilor, Lion Guard, <laughs> Mickey and the Roadster Racers that I okay. I have a hard time with anything that's more mature than a show for a three year old. All right, yeah, maybe you need to go give this another opportunity then. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe the problem is is you need to you need to let you you need to massage your brain maturity a little bit and get in here and do this thing. <laughs> yeah, it might be. <laughs> How many times have you watched Moana since it's been out? Big Ten. Nice. Yeah. I would just, I thoroughly enjoy that movie. Something about it. But yeah, it came out on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, it's amazing. We don't have any numbers as far as what it has done uh, mm -hmm. money-wise so far as, you know, being out. But we, we will eventually. I don't know how long it takes for them to compile that stuff. But it did come out. And also something that dropped today as we record this, is the trailer for Coco, mm -hmm. the Pixar film that will be coming out this year. Uh, I think it comes out in the November time frame, and it tells a story about a little boy who journeys through the land of the dead. It's a Mexican heritage, Hispanic heritage story about Dia de los Muertos. I... I love the music in the trailer. The animation looks great. They didn't really... If you don't know anything about Dia de los Muertos and the Land of the Dead, I could see people seeing this trailer and going, what is happening? Well, it's interesting because it makes it seem like this little boy, who I assume may be Coco, um, mm -hmm. he's, his, he's got this hero, this guitar-playing hero, and there's Ernesto de la Cruz, and um, and in this trailer he apparently goes to somewhere uh, during the Day of the Dead, and um, and it looks like he's going to steal the man's guitar, <laughs> and uh, or he touches it and or he takes it off, and the next thing you know he's been transported into mm -hmm. the land of the dead. It would appear, so. Um, yeah, this is uh, th this seems to be Pixar tackling the afterlife a little bit. Um, you gotta stay with me, boy. You, you don't know where we are. This isn't a dream, then. You're all really out there. So yeah, that's uh, it. Looks look, it's typical Pixar. The imagery looks amazing. They're gonna make you cry. Something in this is gonna make me cry. I don't Probably. know what it is. But I know it's true. Yep, probably. I'm going to do my best not to, though. Now, something else I noticed today as mm -hmm. I turned Netflix on, it's the day, my day off, so all I do is just watch TV because I'm super productive, super productive person. But Peach Dragon is on Netflix now, so I finally get to watch it. I'm pumped. I'm excited. Oh, is that on Netflix now? That's great. I have to yes. check it out. So it's a part of that Netflix Disney deal that we talked about where – the new movies, as they're released, will appear on Netflix. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily the old catalog of Disney, but the new ones. Mm -hmm. And so Peach Dragon's out, so we can expect Moana to follow soon. Um, probably within a month or two. And it will be on Netflix, and then I can watch it without having to get up and put the Blu-ray <laughs> in the Blu-ray player. Well, and it's definitely, I mean, and it's come out, you know, just speaking of Disney-type properties that are on there. Um, it's kind of been confirmed that Clone Wars isn't going away anytime soon on Netflix uh, now. Hooray, 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 hooray. Um, and you know why? Because we all were like, no, and we just got on Netflix and binged I think a Clone Wars. I think that's exactly what happened. I think a lot of people just started binging Clone Wars, and they saw that and were like, well, we can't quite take this away just yet. So 
Um, it was a good thing that, that it leaked out. It's a good thing for Netflix that it leaked out, and it's a good thing for fans of the show uh, who want to still be able to just kind of turn, turn it on at any given moment that may not have those uh, Blu-ray or DVD sets. Also, uh, in a couple of days from this podcast airing on the 17th, I believe, uh, the final Marvel series for Netflix before their big Defender series drops. It's called Iron Fist. And so far, it hasn't got the best critical reaction. A lot of people, they've seen the first six episodes, and they're not really blown away. In fact, they're saying uh, that it has all the problems that uh, the other uh, Marvel shows had as far as being a little too bloated, but uh, not enough um, not enough of the good stuff they had. So I don't know if this is a lack of understanding of the character. I know there's been a lot of talk about that kind of stuff, but um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, go- I'm going to, of course, be watching it. I've gone through in the past couple of months and rewatched all of those Netflix Marvel shows, and, um, and I have to say that the one they seemed to get it the most right with was Luke Cage. It was the one that was the most recent one that came out uh, back in the summer and fall, or back in the fall, I believe. And it is the one that has the least amount of just fillery type stuff in there. And it just felt like a, a solid 13 episodes and, and a really good story and a really good character and a really good, um, just a, just a really well told set of episodes for that. So it, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, see how this iron fist thing goes, because I've been really intrigued by this character and by, in in the comics, iron fist and Luke Cage actually end up together, teamed up as heroes for hire. So, you know, we may be headed into that. But The Defenders then comes next, and that'll be all these Netflix superheroes together in one big series. So um, Interesting. So there's not a whole lot of uh, floating around in space with knee break no. episodes? No, no, not at all. Not for Luke Cage, no. <laughs> Jessica Jones had the most of that. Jessica Jones seemed like they would get right to a climax, and then they would back off and do three episodes where it's like oh my gosh are we still in this room are we still doing this thing and um and though it was a good series uh they they tended to really push the boundaries of violence and 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 drag the story out a little too long um for my taste uh the daredevil seasons have been the most superhero-y though and that's kind of my up my alley i love the superhero-y stuff so um i've really enjoyed those the most very cool, very cool. I threw one last item on here and in our show notes mm-hmm. for all of our listeners. Pull back the curtain. It just says PlayStation View. So <laughs> Steve has no idea what I'm talking Mm-mm. about. But so PlayStation View is a new avenue for cable cutters, you know, that want to get rid of cable right. and be able to watch TV, live TV, on-demand TV. So we have a PlayStation 4. I'm going to pause for a second, oh. if you don't mind, yeah. because there is a some sort of lawn thing going just, on. Just power through. I heard it. I, I figured, okay. yeah, just power through. Just power through. Okay. That's right. So we're not in a we're not in a professional studio, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know that by now, then you're a new listener. <laughs> <laughs> so PlayStation View is one of those avenues. Also, along with those are things like DirecTV Now, Sling, all of that. So Greg and I have been trying to decide if we might try this out or do this, and we have a PlayStation 4, so we signed up for the trial of PlayStation View, and we added on the HBO 
package because I haven't had HBO in years, mm-hmm. and I would love to see what they have on HBO. So we've been testing it out, and what I think is so awesome is that all of the Disney stuff comes with even the most basic of packages. Oh, you wow. Because there's different packages that you can choose from. And so the package that's thirty four ninety nine, which is way less than what our cable bill is, mm-hmm. has Disney XD, Disney Junior, and Disney Channel. Wow. And I'm like, really? This is awesome. That's and amazing. And with PlayStation View, I can log into all of the on-demand TV apps. That's cool. Yeah, so I can get on, you know, watch Disney XD, all of that. I can get on NBC's, ABC's, all of it. Are you muting your mic while you're not talking? Is that what you're doing right now? Yes. I thought so. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. People under, people understand background noise every now and again. No, this sucker just got super loud. You hear that? I do. I do. It's like they're right near your window. Go outside and be like, shut up. Hey, hey, you shut it. Shut it. It's okay. It's all right. Um, I do the Sling TV and didn't realize that there was an option for XD, but just like everything else, the Disney XD package is like an extra $5 um, beyond even like their main package. Like there's two different main packages they have, and you can combine those for a good price and then. You can start to a la carte, add all these other things on. It's like, well, good Lord. Um, So here's something else I like about PlayStation View. It's one of the few, I know Sling is beta testing a DVR system type thing, Mm -hmm. but PlayStation View has a cloud DVR. Oh, wow. They have a cloud DVR. You can stream from up to five devices at Mm -hmm. one time, which is amazing because most of them, it's only two. Yeah. Um. All the Disney stuff comes with the package that's thirty four ninety nine, which is the second level out of the four. Mm-hmm. So, and then I added HBO, which unlike Sling, I think like Sling on a DirecTV now, it may be like five dollars. I don't know what it mm-hmm. is. It's fifteen dollars on PlayStation View, but for forty nine ninety nine, after our trial is over, I get all of the channels that I'm getting with PlayStation View, HBO. I can go get an HD antenna and get all my local channels. Not that I need to, because I get access to ABC, NBC, and all of that. I think CBS is one of the only ones that doesn't participate. Yeah, CBS is finicky, because they're trying to get people to do their own little thing. CBS has got its own deal that they want people to jump on. But if I, since I have a TiVo, if I get an HD antenna, I can get CBS. Mm-hmm. You know, so... I pretty much for forty nine ninety nine can get everything I need. The CW is app is free, mm-hmm. right? To everybody, so yep. that's awesome. And I was looking at the list of all the on demand apps I can log into with my PlayStation View account, and I was like, sold yeah. PlayStation View and Netflix, and I'm covered. So I need I need to save up and just get a PlayStation. Well, you can use PlayStations. You can use an Apple TV. Mm-hmm. You can because oh, really? um, PlayStation View is now available through Apple TV. Shut up. Yeah, and you have an Apple TV. That's sir. right. That's right. You do. Um, it's available with Roku, Chromecast, and on iOS devices. So you need to ditch Sling and get some PlayStation View. We had no skipping. Everything was smooth. Wow. It was, we watched uh, the Peanuts movie last night as our first movie off of HBO. And oh, I love that movie, Steve. I'll have I to. Uh, I have not seen it. I'll have to. Uh, 
I have to check out the PlayStation View and see what the price points are and everything. It sounds good. And th- by the way, this episode of Disney Vault Talk not brought to you by the PlayStation View. <laughs> it's not, but I was just so excited about <laughs> but all the it should programming be. I get. If you need to uh, purchase a PlayStation or an Apple TV, uh, a great place to do that is Amazon.com. You can use the links. You'll find it at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com to make said purchases. And uh, it really helps us out when you do that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Princess and the Frog. How about that? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Cutting a rug, and then the next thing I know, I'm tripping over these. Everyone thinks they know the story of the princess and the frog. You must kiss me. Excuse me? Please, princess. It will make me human again. Just one kiss. Unless you beg for more. But no one knows what happened after the kiss. Until now. Way down here and all this. <gasps> this holiday season. In the tradition of Walt Disney's most beloved classics. <laughs> comes the story behind the most magical kiss the world has ever known. Disney Pictures, The Princess and the Frog. Come, Pucker. That's new. Move over, Wellington J. Frog. Is that that singing frog's name? Disney is up the game with this, with, uh, with voodoo, jazz, a talking lightning bug, and gumbo. Princess and the Frog is about a young lady with a dream who takes wishing on a star to the next level by putting in a little hard work. Where was she when Pinocchio needed her? This is Beauty and the Beast meets the classic fairy tale of the Princess and the Frog meets Live and Let Die, where my Bond fan's at, meets Louisiana Cooking with Justin Wilson. I guarantee. It's Love on the Bayou and what should be considered a Disney classic. This is The Princess and the Frog. And here's Teresa with some history. I'm sure you know everything there is to know about the castle. Oh, well, actually, I, uh, yes, I do. As you can see, the pseudo-facade was stripped 
Alrighty. This is the 49th animated Disney film. Wow. Almost 50. Almost, Almost there. 50. Now, this is loosely based on two books. The Frog Princess by E.D. Baker and the Brothers Grimm fairy tale, The Frog Prince. And I'm going to give some more information about the difference between those two later on. Okay. But this actually marked the return of Ron Clements and John Musker to the Disney uh, machine, mm -hmm. if you will. They were the Great Mouse Detective, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, Treasure Planet, and most recently, Moana. Wow. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the hits were done by these two gentlemen. They actually left Disney in 2005 due to creative differences between the leadership of Disney at the time and the big transition to computer animation. Hmm. When John Lasseter became chief, um, I think it was chief executive, maybe, I don't remember He was what chief was. creative officer, wasn't he? Chief creative officer, that was the one I was looking for. Okay. I was like, what's the letter in the acronym <laughs> that I cannot remember? CCO. CCO. Uh, he begged them to come back for this film and he promised them that they could animate it however they wanted to and so with that they returned so they weren't gone that long mm -hmm. but it was john laster that brought them back of course it was of course now this film as we mentioned earlier marked the return to traditional animation broadway style music and fairy tale stories and this was possibly going to be the resurgence of 2d animation and we're going to talk about that a little bit later mm-hmm so the film was big because at this time, many animators who had lost their jobs due to Michael Eisner's decision to leave traditional animation behind were re-ired, re-hired. Re what, what did I say? You said re-ired. Re-ired? Mm -hmm. Are they was trying to get to Iger? Mm -hmm. Was the word? I okay. think you were. They were re-hired mm -hmm. when Bob Iger took over. And so now we've seen the goodbye of Michael Eisner and the entrance of Bob Iger and how Bob Iger has shaped Disney as we move forward. And as we all well know, Bob Iger is amazing. He's done a fantastic job. And, you know, and I was thinking when, when the credits on this particular movie rolled, and, of course, there's John Lasseter's name as the old CCO, um, we, we may need to stop at some point and it may be between in our transition between these animated films proper and the Pixar stuff and just do some type of mini episode about John Lasseter. Yeah, I um, agree. He, he is worthy of some time and attention because he has played a major role in Disney being what it is now. Not that Disney has, I mean, when it went through its low points, Disney was in its low points, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and so, and and for him to come back around and there seems to be no end in sight you know everything keeps seeming especially on the cinematic level to getting to being more interesting you know more exciting and you know like you they just they seem to be just kicking on all four cylinders for several 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 films in a row now mm -hmm. and uh and, and so he and he's behind it all and so i think i think he's worthy of a of a closer look at some point by us no, I agree. I agree completely. So when Bob Iger took over, they made a decision to sort of reverse and rehire all of these animators. And so this particular story was being developed by Disney and Pixar at the same time. Mm -hmm. So when Bob Iger bought Pixar, so now we know, we haven't talked about Cars yet, but Cars was supposed to be the last 
Disney Pixar joint film. After Cars, Pixar was going to be going out and doing its own thing. And I never really understood what happened because then we saw in theaters, we were like, brought to you by Disney and Pixar, whatever came after Cars, <laughs> you know? And I was like, uh-huh. Now I know. Bob Iger got hired, replaced Stinky Michael Eisner. <laughs> and he said, you know what? I'm going to buy that. Let's buy Pixar. Let's buy. <laughs> let's oh, just buy. I want to buy that. And uh, while we're at it, let's let's buy Marvel. And while I'm at it, let's buy Star Wars. Mm-hmm. See this man. God. Yeah. So amazing. Anyway. So when he bought Pixar, they sort of looked at the proposals that Pixar and Walt Disney Animation had, and they decided that it was better suited for feature animation, and so it went over there. Now, the initial criticism for Princess and the Frog cracks me up. I cannot wait to have this conversation with you, considering one of our last episodes. So I'm super excited. Get ready, everybody. Oh, get ready. We're about to get controversial up in here. Here comes a Southerner and a Latina talking about this situation. A white (laughs) Southerner at that. All right. So the initial criticism was from a shareholders meeting where they first announced the film. And the African-American critics disapproved the original name for the heroine. Her name was Maddie Mm -hmm. because it was similar to the derogatory term Mammy. Mm -hmm. I don't know that term, so Mm -hmm. I don't know what the issue is. I've never really heard it before. I'm sure it's a big deal, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what it is. I, so, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that it was a derogatory term either. I I didn't realize that it was meant to be ascribed to. Um, it's a it's apparently meant to be described to a domestic servant of African descent who's oh you know and it comes from it's a stereotypical thing, but I always kind of was like murmur like I thought it was more or less like a. A, a 20s a roaring 20s thing that you just said in a song oh mammy you know that kind of i didn't realize it was yeah so well, yeah i didn't i've never heard it so but I, but i guess now we're woke mm-hmm. so yeah but i like the i like her name i like tiana oh like yeah better, tiana's anyway. a pretty name mm-hmm now they also had a problem with the original career for the character Mm -hmm. because she was going to be a chambermaid. Now, I'll tell you this. When I was reading this, I said, what is the chambermaid? Is that someone who cleans a toilet? Because it's the only thing I've ever heard, like a chamber pot. Right. You know? Right. And then I was like, wait, what? And then as I kept reading, they were talking about, you know, how Cinderella was a servant Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. I was like, oh, so it's like somebody who cleaned your house. (laughs) I didn't know. Well, these are terms I've done. I... I must not but when you get but see southern. but see when you get like to the Downton Abbey type stuff, a chambermaid is actually like they go in the room in the person's chambers and they're making the bed, they're making sure all the clothes are folded, clothes are laid out, fires are lit, you know, all this good stuff. Um, you know, the beds turned down, all that good stuff, and uh, and I just feel like, um, you know, and and in America, you know, the last time that people were do you know when people have chambermaids and stuff it was from a different era where yeah you know what we look down on that stuff now and that's not that's not correct so but her mom tiana's mom was a housekeeper right she was a seamstress or a na- oh, she was a seamstress well she seemed to kind of be a nanny and i didn't say kind mammy of. yeah yeah it, and it's all very interesting mm-hmm. I'm not, you know but 
Okay, and the choice to have the black heroine's love interest be a non-black prince, mm -hmm. which this upset opponents of on-screen interracial romance. So this upset the racists. No, this upset... Well, no. This was this upset... I don't know who it upset. I guess it upset people that don't want to see interracial stuff. So that's racist, right? Right, I guess. I don't... You know what? I don't know. Just, I Honestly, I I'm not know. woke enough to know. I don't know. But it, <laughs> I could also see how it would bother people who want to showcase interracial romance. I could see how it would upset both sides. Why would it upset people who want to do that? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Yeah. Wait, wait, let me think. No, I know why. Okay. Because something else I read, and I don't know if I put it in here, mm -hmm. was that they chose not to make him any specific race. Like, he has a French mm. accent, but his skin tone doesn't really... Okay. He's sort of like that nondescript race. All right. And so it okay. could upset the people that really want to highlight interracial relationships. So, okay. Because there's not enough of a difference to All tell. All right. Okay. So, so okay. I see now. All right. Yeah. So they were offended that that the that the Disney was trying to be non-offensive. Mhm. Mm gotcha. Okay. Oh. But either way, mm -hmm. I'm like, come on, people. Okay. Then they were had a problem with the use of a black male voodoo witch doctor as the film's villain. What? Mm. Okay. Don't know why. Was it the voodoo? On that one. Was it the voodoo situation, I, I guess? It, I think it was. I think it's a religious thing with Maybe the voodoo. The, the, a religious thing with the voodoo. And that, you, well, you know, it kind of goes back to the people that were all upset about the Da Vinci Code and Harry Potter and demon worship. You know? Yeah. So But voodoo okay. is tied to the culture of New Orleans and the and the bayou and everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean Lilo and Lilo has voodoo pickle spoons. <laughs> he sure does. My friends have been bad. They have to be punished. <laughs> she had friends on the other side. Mm. Okay. Did you know that the Polynesian people took a lot of offense to Lilo and Stitch? I'm sure. Listen, mm, never mind. I, I did when I was I was watching all of the background stuff or the mm -hmm. and the special features on Moana. Yeah. And when they first announced they were gonna do a Polynesian focused film, a lot of people were afraid that it was gonna be like Lilo and Stitch. And I'd never really thought about that. I was just like, Oh, Lilo and Stitch, it's cute, you know. So, what was wrong with it? I mean, it was set in modern times. I don't know. Well, we're not on Moana yet. I haven't been forced to research it further. I'm talking about Lilo and Stitch. I don't know what was offensive there. That a quirky, that a quirky little girl in Hawaii can like Elvis and have a alien friend. I think what it was is they wanted something more like Moana that okay. was very respectful and you know showcased their culture and stuff. Okay, and so instead of just, just having like fun, light, I got gotcha. you. So instead of just having modern people live in modern times doing modern people things, I got gotcha. you. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay, so the Frog Princess title, which was its original title, mm-hmm. was also thought by critics to be a slur on oh French my people. Gosh, are we getting we're getting into this era now. This is where we we're are. at. <sighs> I'm really which I don't understand that one. How because, is that a slur on okay, French? Okay, and it goes back to like World War Two. They people would call the French people frogs. Why? Because the fra part of it, and they kind of looked like they assumed they looked like frogs. It was just a way to, just a way to throw throw shade at somebody. God, people are so mean and rude. Yeah, but it's also it's like, have we never heard of the fairy tale? <laughs> like that's my thing. It's like I just want to look at these people. Like, have we never heard the fairy tale? <laughs> it is a. Mm, I get it. I get it. Trust me. I understand. I mean, we're now in the like era. Are, I feel like there are people's jobs that are out there mm-hmm. that their their whole purpose in life is to look at everything so negatively to find every little possible thing that could be wrong with Teresa, it. Teresa, it's a it's a badge of honor to be offended in today's society. Like that is the that is the ultimate argument stopper. That's the ultimate everything. And if you're offended, then you win. I mean that's really how it goes. So, but I look, I'm I'm going to get in more trouble than we're already in. So let's just continue. <laughs> okay. Because this last one, I can see where people might be coming from a little bit. Yeah, this one makes sense. So people questioned the film setting of New Orleans, mm-hmm. which had heavily been damaged by Hurricane Katrina in 2005 resulting in the expulsion of a large number of mostly black residents the critics claimed the choice of new orleans as the setting for a disney film with a black heroine was an affront to the katrina victims plight and i completely understand that a lot of katrina victims came into my area and mm-hmm. i totally get that but at the same time i think they were trying to honor the city of New Orleans. Exactly. And its history and exactly. its culture. Exactly. And I don't think that was meant to make people that were victims of Hurricane Katrina feel slighted or like what they're going through doesn't matter. Right. Um, well, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a quick story. Back in the 90s, used to do this thing uh, when I was in high school. Uh, we'd go to this big event, statewide event, with this club where uh, you'd get all in the... Um, You'd get all in the uh, in, in the auditorium. You'd have hundreds of people in this big auditorium, and someone would come out and be like, well, we're going to make it rain. And so you get this section over here just to kind of rub their hands together, and this section over here to kind of snap lightly, and this section over here to kind of clap, you know, a little loudly, and then this, and then the final section just kind of stomp. And, and it really did. Once it got going, it sounded like you're in a rainstorm, like in a vehicle or something, you know? And it was like one of those cool things because we're like, oh, look, we made it rain. We're awesome. Um and the year before my senior year and I went to this thing, um, and it was just one of those weird traditions that we love to do, you know, that everyone loved to do. Well, the year before that, uh, middle Georgia had been really messed up with some flooding. And so in an effort to not be offensive or to not, you know, not hurt feelings, you know, based on, okay, we see that the rain has really hurt you guys this year. Uh, we didn't do it that year. And, mm-hmm. And it wasn't because it was seen as an affront. It's the word affront there that bothers me in this statement. It was the word of, we don't want to bring up any bad memories or, you know, if you, you maybe some of you had property destroyed or lost some things or lost a home even or, or even people died, you know. And, and so rather than mess with all that, so I could see where it's like, you know what, this kind of bothers because it may, it seems like you're kind of just 
treading on some things in you know New Orleans and still hadn't bounced back or whatever the case may be. I can see that, but in a front to the Katrina victim's plight. And I'm like you, this movie honors the, the culture and heritage of, uh, of New Orleans. And if you drove along after Katrina in 2005, and, and I did do this, not, and I mean two years after Katrina, driving out the Gulf Coast through Mississippi, um, you know, into all of Louisiana, and even down into a little bit of Texas, it wasn't just New Orleans that was affected. You know, there was there were people still living in FEMA trailers two and three years out all oh, up yeah. and down the Gulf Coast. And so um, it's just I, I feel like, I, again, I'm not woke enough to have this conversation. So we'll just continue. Well, I'll say this. I understand that people are looking out for their, you know, their cultures and for things like that. And they want things to be represented well. And I totally 150% get that. And I also think that sometimes creators that are not aware of some of these things need to be told this stuff. And so I think it's good that they showed it at the shareholders meeting and that they were made aware of some of these things. And I think stuff like this has spurred what, for example, Disney did with Moana and they spent a ton of time in the Polynesian area and researching and talking and having people of Polynesian descent on their creative team you know, but to make sure that they did it well. Doesn't that go back to what like Walt Disney did though, way back with like your, with the, uh, with the three Caballeros and, um, what was the one before that one? Saludos Amigos. Saludos Amigos, you know, where they actually went to these places, got to know the culture, got to know the people and that sort of thing. I mean, isn't, isn't that something in, in that, that has been done as far back as then, like in the 40s? It has, but I think that when Walt was around and all of that stuff, it was part of the way that Disney did things. Mm -hmm. And then once Walt passed away and as things changed hands and we got different people that were in charge of the Disney machine, I think some of that emphasis on those things started to go away. And I think this is sort of with Lasseter and Iger being in charge, we're getting back to the roots of the Walt Disney Company again mm -hmm. to where they're like, we need to do things the right way. And I think that's what's happening is we're beginning to see that. And I think the fact that some of this stuff was mentioned, it led to some things being changed, which made the reception of the movie much better. You know? All right. So – I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I think that when we just immediately think like that, that we're hindering our ability as people to be non-judgmental and to accept others. But I guess at the same, like it's a check and balance kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, so with this, to add on to this, okay, lots of things were changed due to this criticism, including, for example, the heroine's name. It's now Tiana. Her job, she's now a waitress trying to build a restaurant. You know, things like that were changed, and I think that helped the story. It did. But, oh, my lanta, it helped the story a ton. I loved the her and her dad, but we'll get there. We'll talk about it when we get there. And Oprah Winfrey was hired as a technical consultant for the film, and then she ends up being a voice. But she mm -hmm. was hired to help them. Uh, and I think that all of that, it all ended up in a good place. Sure. You know? So, let's see. CAPS, we've talked about CAPS was the computer animation production system that they'd been using for a while that was developed by Pixar in the 80s. It has now become dated, and they couldn't use it anymore, so they had to come up with something new, and they found a technology from Toon Boom Harmony, 
which was software that they used uh, in this particular film. Hmm. And it would see the entrance of this new software and caps going by the wayside. The one exception to the new Toon Boom Harmony pipeline that they were using for animation was the Almost There Dream sequence, which utilized an Art Deco graphic style of art of the Harlem Renaissance by painter Aaron Douglas. So it was based on that, mm. that particular piece of art. Um, and it was supervised by Eric Goldberg and designed by Sue Nichols. The Almost There sequence, sequence's character animation was done on paper, without going through the cleanup animation department, and then it was scanned directly into Photoshop. The artwork was then enhanced to affect the appearance of painted strokes and fills and combined with backgrounds using Adobe After Effects. Wow. That's so something you can do at your house. Uh-huh. Pretty, pretty cool. Now, the film premiered in theaters with a limited run in New York and Los Angeles on November 25th, 2009, and it was followed by a wide release on December 11th, 2009. And on its limited day release, the film grossed $263,890 at the two theaters, and it grossed $786,190 in its opening weekend. So that's for, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess it wasn't around very long during that time. I've never understood limited releases. I'll just say that. I don't get it. Just let it all be out at the same time. Now, on its limited, let's see, on its opening day, sorry, went backwards. Mm -hmm. On its opening day and wide release, the film grossed $7 million right. at 3,400 theaters. And it would go on to gross $24,208,000 over the opening weekend. That's not a bad opening weekend for an animated film in December. Mm-mm. Not at all. Especially, what is this, 2009? Mm -hmm. um, you, what, eight years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Now, it was number one for its weekend and making it the highest grossing start to date for an animated movie in December, a record previously held by Beavis and Butthead do America. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we got beat by princess. <laughs> the film would go on to gross $104.4 million in the United States and Canada and $267 million Jeez. worldwide making it a box office success and became the fifth highest grossing animated film of 2009. Its budget was $105 million, so it profited. Woohoo! What, what were the films that were ahead I of I knew you were going to ask me that. I didn't catch I, I always try to catch it when I'm doing this stuff, that Steve's going to ask me this and this. So that's why I put Beavis and Butthead to America in there, and I didn't catch this one. Darn um, it. Uh, I'm I'm kind of I'm digging into that. Continue, please. Okay, so the Princess and the Frog was released in North America on DVD and Blu-ray disc on March 16, 2010. As of December 2010, the DVD had sold 4,475,000 copies and has made 71.3 million dollars in DVD sales, making it the ninth best-selling DVD of 2010. And I found this out for us as of February 28th of this year, 2017. Mm -hmm. There was a new version that was just released on February 28th, 2017. I found it at Best Buy. I'm not sure if it's anywhere else. That 
it is on Blu-ray disc with a digital copy for only $14.99. Wow. Yeah. So you need to get to your Best Buys, find it online. If you do not have Princess and the Frog, you can get a digital copy and the Blu-ray disc for only $14.99 right now. It is a special edition, limited run. I don't know how long it's going to be out. It has a gold border on its box. I just happened to find this because I realized that I had lost my disc and I needed to get a new one and I got lucky enough to find this. Nice. So that was very cool. Now, as far as awards are concerned, it was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature. It was also nominated for Best Animated Feature Academy Award and Best Original Song for Almost There and Down in New Orleans for an Academy Award. And then it was nominated... Uh, for a Grammy for Best Song Written for a Motion Picture. And it lost in all of the categories. It actually lost to Up for the Academy Award for Best mm -hmm. Animated Feature. And for the song it, at the Oscars and at the Grammys, it lost to The Weary Kind from a film called Crazy Heart. I don't know what that song is. Me either. But I do know this. I do know the four films that grossed higher than... The Princess and the Frog in 2009. Mm -hmm. It would have been A Christmas Carol. I think that was the one with Jim Carrey where it was kind of like the, uh, done like the Polar Express look. Mm -hmm. And Jim Carrey as uh, the Ebenezer Scrooge. Monsters versus Aliens, which is kind of a surprise to me. I didn't think that was a very well-received movie. Up was the number two gro highest grossing film of 2009. And then uh, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs, was the number one animated film of 2009 as far as the box office goes. By wow. a very wide margin between it, it, it grossed $886.7 million, 886 million compared to The Princess Frog's $267 million. So you can see the, birth, the, wide, the wide divide there between those films. Wow, that's crazy. Crazy, crazy. All right, I think we're ready. Fun facts? Mm-hmm. Fun facts! Woo! Say it proud and geek out loud. It's fun facts! Oh, here we go. All right, so let's get into some of this fun stuff. So they just the one thing they didn't change was the setting of the movie. They mm -hmm. kept it in New Orleans. And as they said, and we said earlier, it was a tribute to the history of the city for its magical qualities. And also, it's one of John Lasseter's favorite cities. What time do you think this movie was set in? I feel like it's like the 20s or the 30s. Okay. I did too. I'm not sure. Somewhere thereabouts. So the team spent 10 days in New Orleans before they started writing the film. And I wanted to point this out because, see, as we're getting back to this time where we're doing research, 10 days in New Orleans versus weeks upon weeks upon weeks in the Polynesian Islands. Mm-hmm. So we're this was this is why I say it's the beginning of the resurgence of that. Mm -hmm. We already mentioned its original working title, which was The Frog Princess. Clements and Musker had agreed from early on that the style they were aiming for was primarily that of Lady and the Tramp, a film which they and John Laster feel represents the pinnacle of Disney style. Ooh, okay. Lady and the Tramp also heavily informed or in influenced the style of the New Orleans scenes while Disney's Bambi served as the template for the Bayou scenes. Hmm. I can see it. I guess I can. I can see it. Now, did we ever decide, is Lady and the Tramp based in America? 
Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Probably because of Sergeant. Right. Sergeant Tibbs. Sergeant <laughs> Tibbs. Fifteen spotted. Well, that's the hundred one Dalmatians. Oh wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> Lady in the Tramp. We, oh. <laughs> Wrong dog movie. I don't reckon I ever told you about Old Reliable. Yes, you did, Uncle Trusty. Okay. It was originally set for release on Christmas Day of 2009, but its release date was changed due to a competing family film, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Shut the Squeak Will. up. Shut up. We, <laughs> they were scared of Alvin and the Chipmunks? The Squeak Will. Wow. Yeah. The film itself was promoted through advertisements, including one from Geico, where Naveen as a frog converses with the company's gecko mascot. Oh, that's fun. I had intended to try to find this commercial, mm -hmm. and I forgot because I, I yeah, wanted to see it. I've not, I don't think I've seen that one. Now, it was the first film since Beauty and the Beast where all the speaking parts also do their singing parts. Really? So not different voices versus singers they're the same so that's pretty neat let's see here i, like I believe here's one yep hello gecko here yes 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 ah i need help i am prince naveen and i was cursed by a dastard he's talking to him on the computer oh oh my yes here's what happened <laughs> yeah let me think mate you see really my thing is telling people they could save hundreds on their car insurance um do you know any princesses who kiss you Geico. 15 minutes could see. There you go. This episode not brought to you by Geico. <laughs> now, when the Shadow Man is reading Prince Naveen's tarot cards, mm -hmm. the last card he pulls is of the Prince's future. It features him sitting on a lily pad in a pond with the money in hand, foreshadowing his later transformation. Now, I kept this one in here. Mm -hmm. Contemplated taking it out. Because I'm not, I found this. I'm not sure if it's right though. Because when I was watching it, I looked for it. Yeah. And it either went too fast and I couldn't see it or whatever. So I don't know if this one is true. So if you guys watch this and you see something different, let me know. Hmm. But I looked for it. But you know how sometimes those things go really quickly and you can't see them? Yeah. You know? Now, the Mama Odie character was actually inspired and patterned after the late famed New Orleans storyteller Colleen Sally even down to the character's voice Colleen consulted with the director several times but she actually passed away before the movie was completed Aww. I know pretty sad Annika um, or I guess not Annika it's Anika I don't believe that's how they say her name Anika Noni Rose who was Tiana requested that Tiana be left handed because she is left handed oh now you know who would love that my sister. If you want more of my sister, you can go listen to our uh, Little Mermaid episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That was pretty cool. New Orleans celebrity chef Emerald Lagasse, who was famous for his Cajun and Creole cuisine, plays Bam! the voice of Marlin, yeah. one of the alligators who tries to eat oh, Naveen cool. and Tiana in the swamp. He actually uses his signature <gasps> BAM line. I missed that. I totally missed that. Yeah, I looked for that one, too. And it, that one's right. <laughs> yeah, I miss that. I no, love Marlon's... Emerald. Man, I love Emerald. Didn't he used to have a show on yeah, TV? Yes, he's kind of retired now, bless his heart. Marlon's character is actually named after Marlon Brando. He's the star of the New Orleans drama Streetcar Named Desire. Stella! 
The streetcar Tiana takes to work during an early scene is labeled with the number A113, and as we have talked about before, A113 was the room for the animation department at the California Institute of the Arts. And the band that Louie plays for is named the Firefly 5 Plus Lou, and this is a reference to the Dixieland jazz band Firehouse 5 Plus 2. Okay. which consisted of Walt Disney animators. The piano player is a character, caricature of animator Frank Thomas, Aww. who played piano on the Firehouse Five. That's a name we've not heard in a while. Uh-huh. Oh, Frank Thomas, yeah. When Mama Odie is looking for the calm with the pearl. You mean the, the clam? The clam. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nice. I had a moment. Is looking for the clam with the pearl and dig a little deeper. One of the items that she throws away is Genie's lamp from Aladdin, and I did catch that. I didn't catch that. I did. I did. I didn't catch that at all. Um, so, Teresa, I really like this movie a lot. In fact, uh, when I got through watching it yesterday, I'd never watched it before. I've had it in my collection for a little bit, and I've never watched it. And when I got through, I immediately texted you just to say, this is such a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I hadn't seen it in a while either because I lost my disc. Mm -hmm. And as I was rewatching it, I was it was one of those moments of, I do really like this movie. Like, I knew I liked the music for a reason, but I do really like this movie. So, I mean, it's it's so it, it's actually super good if you haven't watched it. And it's so much fun. Mm -hmm. It is such a fun movie. Um, you know, right down... I mean, the music, of course, is fantastic, but then the characters. This is really, honestly, this felt like, and and not, and, you, and look, we talked, I love Bolt. I enjoyed, I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed some of the movies we've watched leading up to Bolt, you know, since your, since Lilo and Stitch and some of those other movies. But, um, but this really did feel like a return to, uh, to your renaissance type stuff you know to your little mermaid uh your, your beauty and the beast your aladdin it felt like a return to those type movies because of the characters that were there you know the the supporting cast around uh tiana and navid and, and everyone um it was just you know it was just so much fun and such a and you cared about everybody the villain was absolutely evil and you want to see him get his he's probably one of the scarier villains you know what what with his friends on the other side and everything to me one of the scarier villains with one of the scarier uh fates since uh, as far back as maleficent maleficent um what was that calm clam mm-hmm mm-hmm <laughs> yeah let's see four letters versus however many are in maleficent yeah and it was uh hmm what was I trying to say? She just threw me off. Oh, you were talking about the evilness of him. He's like Scar. Yes. He's like the most evil since Scar. Mm. And Scar was well, pretty bad. And what was the bad guy in, uh, in Hunchback? Him too. He was kind oh, of... Oh, he was pretty terrible. Yeah. But I mean, it's in that vein. It's in that same vein of bad guys where it's like he's not played necessarily for laughs, even though he does kind of do some funny things. But he is... He he's a, he's a bad dude, and he reminded me of. And again, I go back to, um, to the Bond stuff and Live and Let Die. One of the villains, his name was Baron Somdi, and he was a voodoo man, and he's painted up looking just like him. Or for you WWF fans from way back, Old Papa Shango reminded me a lot of Old Papa Shango, the voodoo man from that made uh, Ultimate Warrior's face paint melt off. But 
yeah, just a. I thought it was. I, I think it's a fantastic movie. It, I was really surprised by how much I love this. And anytime John Goodman shows up, count me in. <laughs> He's the the crazy girl's dad. Yeah. She's intense. That girl, man. Oh, Big Daddy LaBeouf. <laughs> All right. So earlier I mentioned that this story is based on two particular mm-hmm. books. The Princess and the Frog by Edie Baker, mm-hmm. and then uh, the Brothers Grimm, the Frog Prince. So, mm-hmm. really loosely, the Frog Princess, which was first published in 2002. Okay, this is a story about um, Emma is a princess and heir of this one land, and one of her most distinct traits is her unique laugh, which sounds like a donkey's bray noise. Okay. And the only person that appreciates her is her aunt. And so she basically, this one is a lot more similar to the story mm-hmm. um, of the princess and the frog that we get. Mm-hmm. So the her mother says she has to marry this stuck-up prince guy. And um, she views this guy as like her worst enemy. So she runs off to the swamp where she meets Prince Edric. A magical land called Upper Monte Vista, which sort of is similar to the magical land of Maldonia that mm-hmm. does not exist. The only problem is that he's been turned into a frog. And so she has to kiss him and then she turns into a frog. So it, it's very similar. Right, right. Okay. Whereas the Frog Prince, which would be the original one a lot of people think of, which is the Grim Fairy Tale. In this particular one, a spoiled princess reluctantly befriends the frog prince, meeting him after dropping a gold ball into a pond, who magically transforms into a handsome prince. Although in modern versions, um, the transformation is invariably triggered by the princess kissing the frog. Mm -hmm. In the original grim version of the story, the frog spell was broken when the princess threw it against a wall. (laughs) So she encounters this frog... And she throws the frog against the wall, yeah. and then he turns into a prince. And he dies, probably. <laughs> because so, it's a grim fairy tale. Grim fairy tales are crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, it's sort of like a combination. Like they sort of took some pieces and parts of both and created the Disney version yeah. of Princess and the Frog. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good. I love the character of Tiana. Um, oh, she's so great. Although, I will say that she does have this wall up, I think, of, you know, that I've got to work hard, I've got to do everything on my own, I've got to do all this stuff. And she has to learn that having relationships and love in your life and all of that stuff is just as important as working your butt off and that you have to figure out how to balance your life. And that's sort of her story. Dig a little deeper. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a workaholic situation going on there with her. But I think what I love is her relationship with her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is this is a girl who. I also like the idea of her family and the fact that you know this is a girl who's spending her days hanging out with a rich girl, and in this rich person life and you see what they go home to yet they're happy Mm -hmm. you know whereas you see this other little girl is never satisfied 
this spoiled little brat of a rich girl. And I love that, you know, they're, as they're leaving there in the opening scene, you hear Big Daddy tell her, all right, but this is the last dress I'm going to get you. And now who wants a puppy? And he just pulls a puppy out of his pocket. You can see the shadow. And I'm just like, yep, okay, I know I'm not going to like this girl. But I also like that they didn't go all the way with that, with the girl, like um, with Charlotte is her name. Mm-hmm. that by the end of the movie, you don't dislike her. And, like, I really saw her kind of becoming the bad guy based on what, you know, well, she wanted to marry a prince, and now he's falling in love with Tiana. But she just, she values her friendship with Tiana so much that she she's willing to let her go, you know, and let him go. And, and she says, well, I've been waiting this long. And so it's... uh you know, I, I really ended up liking all the dynamics of the characters and their interactions here. But it, it it all begins with, I think I fell in love with the family. I fell in love with Tiana's family. And, of course, because it's a Disney movie, they can't all be alive by the time it's over. No, so, no. so you cut through the opening credits, and Daddy's dead. Yeah, and, you know, that was a big thing that I found when I was researching it is, was, well, how did he die? And we're supposed to assume that he died. And so, you know what? This takes place in the 40s, probably, mm-hmm. because he was he died from World War Two because the medal that she has on his picture is a some sort of medal of honor um, from World War Two. So this must be in the late forties then. I think that's what I found. Maybe it's World War One. Hmm. It may be the late forties because it does seem very Depression era mm-hmm. with them, um, you know, and sharing with all the neighbors and everything. And she steps out. Hey, everybody, we got gumbo. I love it. If I knew yeah, how to make a good gumbo to... or a good jambalaya, I would have brought a recipe to the table, but I don't really have a good recipe for those things. So send us your recipes for jambalaya and or gumbo. No, World War One. Okay. Uh, I just found it. There, He served in World War One as evidenced by a dresser-top portrait photo of him in his uniform. The circumstances of his death are not stated in the film. However, his portrait is accompanied by the Distinguished Service Cross a U.S. medal awarded to soldiers who demonstrated great heroism or risk of life in battle. So, so we're supposed to assume that. So this could be this could be the 20s then. Right. Definitely the 20s say, this, by the dress and yeah, stuff. Yeah, definitely feels like the 20s then, as I said. As I said, definitely feels like the 20s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I felt I was feeling 20s because of the jazz. Yeah. And then the, there's flapper-style dresses, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the little snug little hats. Yes, yeah. You know. I feel so, like I feel like the 20s could be a style that could come back to stay and I think everyone would be okay with it. I like 20s style. I mean, but I also like jeans. True. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like you you modernize it up a little bit and I think you'd be all right. Um Teresa, I know you love Ray. I do love Ray. Ray, well, one, he's voiced by Jim Cummings. Exactly. So it's like Winnie the Pooh in Firefly form. But he doesn't sound... You know how, like, Pooh Bear and Ka sound the same? Mm-hmm. This does not sound the same, the, yes. which is good. Uh, it's only when he's dying that I can hear the Pooh Bear voice mm-hmm. in him uh, when yeah. he starts to get raspy and everything. Now, it's so great because he is in love with Evangeline, who is essentially what I would call the North Star. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Right. Seems uh, to be. He he believes that that is Evangeline who was a firefly mm-hmm. and that she lives there now. And, you know, people, it, they, everybody wants to tell him, but then again, you shouldn't tell him. And Evangeline actually is a reference to a, a Longfellow poem. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but... It's a reference to that. And then Ray is modeled after um, Ray Charles. So they did a lot of, you know, actually like modeling people after other very mm-hmm. important people. Like Louis, the, um, the alligator, is after Louis Armstrong. Yes. And by the way, favorite character Yeah. <laughs> for me is Louis. I love Louis. He, I, just everything about him, like... When he, when he, when he's like, yeah, I tried one time. I got up on them steamboats and started playing and they saw me. And then all the guns came out. And I just thought it was so funny. He goes jumping off the thing and all, and like the whole side of the steamboat just starts firing. It's like, it's got tons of cannons on the side with everyone with their guns going after him. Uh, Well, and and then when he's on the boat and they get on the boat to go back to New Orleans to fix this whole thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's Mardi Gras, so they think he's in a costume, right. and they're like, that's he's the, the best costume I've ever seen. He gets Can in a parade play? float, yeah. Come on. <laughs> and then and when he has... Like, okay. And then when he has to get mean, because he's got to go save his friends, they're like, oh, it's a real alligator. Um, yeah, I loved Louie. I thought he was fantastic. Um, he's, he, he was my favorite character in this whole thing. Yeah, and I really liked Ray, and you made a comment to me about Ray. Like, this movie... This movie gets down and dirty with some violence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Ray's death is is very, very well gross. Th- you know, it, it's probably one of the most brutal things we've ever seen in a Disney movie. We we saw Scar, you know, fling Mufasa off a mountain, um, and then it's all covered in dust. You know, you don't really see him get trampled um when when he does you see scar get eaten by hyenas well you see it in shadow kind of you know you see you see the shadows kind of rise up and then kind of pounce on him but then it's just kind of all becomes a massive shadow um you know but you but when when the dark man what's his name shadow man when dr facilier when he steps on ray like you even hear the crunch and it's just like, oh, don't show it. Don't show a smush lightning bug. Oh, oh. And and it just, oh, it made me cringe because, like, and this is the thing. This is what they do. They make you feel for a bug. You know, this is Evan Rude from The Rescuers, like, ramped up to a 1,000. Right? Totally. Yes. Ah. Uh. But yeah, I you know, and he's the one. He's gonna go take on the Shadow Man, mm-hmm. like by himself. I mean, Ray is—he's a hero in bug form. And oh my gosh, when all the fireflies are together and when they're singing, and then at his funeral, and they're carrying his poor little self on a leaf. Is this the first funeral? <laughs> is it We've the first seen funeral? In the Disney movie? Is it the first funeral? I think so. It was sad. Have we not seen a funeral in Disney movie? I don't think so. Oh man. 
All right, we're going to get the emails. Guys, where did we see a funeral? I know we've seen Have a funeral. I mean, I guess kind of in Snow White. Well, was there a funeral? Well, they laid her to rest and walked away with their hats in their hands. Hmm. Until the prince but, showed up. But this was like an actual like processional of a funeral. Yeah. I'm not really sure if we've ever seen a funeral before. Hmm. Something to think about. Something yeah. to ponder. Something, something, something to, ponder. to ponder. Let's talk about Naveen for a minute. Sure. This guy. What is wrong with him? <laughs> well, he's a spoiled brat. He's the he's the one we have to deal with being spoiled. He doesn't want to work, and you know, um, and it's interesting because to me they did a thing too at the beginning, where where he's out playing you know on the streets and she's going to work and he kind of gives her the business and she just kind of blows him off and this mm -hmm. is before we realize he's a prince i'm like okay that's going to be the guy who teaches her to loosen up and have a good time um but come to find out he's just an irresponsible jerk who's never had to do anything for himself and he's having to learn a lesson too and so it's this neat thing where they both have to come and meet in the middle and i think that's what i liked about this this movie as well is is both of these characters were were flawed in their own way and while it's commendable for her to be such a hard worker you know she had to learn to loosen up she had to learn to dance and mm -hmm. and while you know he he's not necessarily out just for just to marry money or what have you or whatever the case may be though he wants the money he, you know, he is very open to true love, and I think that that makes these both these characters really good characters and a really good. Um, I, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Well, you know, for me, he was this just egotistical, gross person, and then the more I watch it, you see that he starts to realize that he has feelings and he has the ability to care, and that he has all the stuff. And he's kind of like Monel. <laughs> I guess sort of so. Starts, yeah, kind of he is kind of like Monel. Yeah. And it's like he has this moment of growing up. You know how they say like the right, the right person in your life at the right time can cause you to change the way that you approach things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what she was for him. Yeah. Was this way? Now it didn't mean he should change who he is completely, and he doesn't. You know, he stays fun-loving because they balance each other out. Yep, yep. They definitely balance each other out. But he had a lot to learn. And I sometimes I compete with myself on who is the real bad guy in this movie. Is it Dr. Facilier? Or is it his little dorky whatever guy? Oh, well, the dorky whatever guy is... is Lawrence or whatever yeah, his name is. Yeah, he's... Yeah. I, well, yeah. Here's the thing is I don't think that dude would have um I don't think he would have turned on Prince Naveen but when it happened he went along he was okay to go along with it. Yeah. Because it meant something good for himself. Mm -hmm. Like it was very selfish. Right. You know. Um I want to talk about Charlotte for a minute. I know we were talking about her earlier but Charlotte you mentioned it she is a very interesting character to me mm -hmm. because she definitely is that personification of 
a me, 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 I want everything for me, you know, I'm rich, I should get everything. But at the same time, she comes around at the in the end, and I had seen it before, but I hadn't seen it in a while, and I kind of completely forgotten that she did that. And it made her, to me, like this character that was just really awesome. Well, she was really... Even though she started off being super annoying. She was really Naveen's friend. Mm-hmm. You know, is what it comes down to. And, like, even when she shoves the money in Naveen's hands to make all her beignets for her party that night, you know, and Naveen realizes this... You mean this, Tiana? Yeah, Tiana, I'm sorry. And she, yeah, she's really Tiana's friend. And when she shoves all the money in Tiana's hands to make the beignets for the party that night, you know, and Tiana says, this is it. This is going to get me over the... I can buy the building now for the restaurant. She's genuinely, she's genuinely excited for Tiana. And then when Tiana's clothes gets messed up, she's like, come on up. I've got something for you. And she says, you need to be a princess at least tonight. You know, and she genuinely is a friend of this person. They just have such different upbringings, you know, that that she's still a little self-centered. We all have that friend that's a little bit self-centered. I'm every, if you're my friend, I'm that friend. I'm the friend that's a little bit self-centered, even though I love you and want the best for you, you know. Um, I'm still going to be a little bit self-centered. And two, it is... It is Charlotte that teaches her to wish on the star, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and kind of instills the idea of dreaming into her as much as she was dreaming with her dad. You know, part of what keeps that alive is this girl who apparently it's worked for because she has a rich daddy, um, you know, but she she goes to the wishing on the star thing constantly. And, uh, you know, and, and this is where I as I'm watching, I'm like. You know, is this a commentary on we've had it wrong at Disney all these years that it's not just wishing upon a star? You got to put a little work behind it too, you know. And and I think what they did is they come out with it's a balance of it all. You keep mm-hmm. you keep wishing, you keep dreaming, but don't stop working. You know, mm-hmm. don't stop believing, but don't stop working either. Well, and I watched the special features for this, and that was something that they commented on mm-hmm. that. They wanted to combine that traditional element of Disney and the wishing on the star, but also with the realistic element that you have to help yourself to. Yeah. You know, and so it goes both ways. And it's a modern version of how a princess or becomes a princess, that not all princesses are born into it. Or you can be a princess without, I mean, obviously she becomes a princess Mm -hmm. because of you know, she marries Naveen or whatever, but you can be a princess without having a crown on your head, I think is one of the things that this one says. And there's this great moment just by the way, with the dog, Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention when she's a frog and she starts talking to the dog and the dog's like, Tiana. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh my God, that's great. Well, we should probably move on to kind of talking a little bit about the music since we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lo- there's several songs in here that are great songs. Um, the main ones that would be considered the musical songs are Down in New Orleans, Almost There, Friends on the Other Side, and When We're Human. Mm-hmm. I would say are the the core yeah. the core songs for the film. Um, there is the ever popular in a Disney movie it's Disney movie it's Disney movie end credits scene uh, song, which is never knew I needed, which is by Neo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really like that one to be honest. Oh, yeah? I, it it's all right. Okay. I like the I like the opening with Down in New Orleans. 
Because she lays mm -hmm. down and immediately has to get up and go to work. Mm-hmm. Good night, cows. Good morning, dukes. It reminds me of, I mean, it's a great establishing shot kind of situation. It reminds me a lot of the way that Beauty and the Beast opens up as she's uh -huh. walking through the town, you know, little town for the quiet people. Um, and, and she's going through the old New Orleans and when she's making those beignets and she spreads the honey over them, does the powdered sugar and everything, and it's just like makes me hungry. Again, if you got a good recipe, send it to us. Vault Talk I at love beignets. Especially Mickey Mouse shaped ones at Disneyland. Those Do you think cool. the jazz music is is as unique as because by this time we've heard like Randy Newman and and do some stuff and everything for for the Pixar things, um, but here it does feel like a whole different thing for a Disney movie. It is different, and mm -hmm. I like that. And this is his first time with Disney away from Pixar, mm -hmm. which is really cool. And I think it the movie has a neat sound to it with all of it, especially the orchestral stuff. But these core songs are so snappy. Mm -hmm. You know, I really like them. Friends on the Other Side is one of my favorites. I, oh, I love that song. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sorry. It came up too loud on you there. Someone actually emailed in the other day talking about their favorite songs, and this was one of them. Because they like the villains, if I recall. That's an echo, gentlemen. Just a little something we have here in Louisiana. A little parlor trick, don't worry. Sit down at my table. Put your minds at ease. If you relax, it will enable me to do anything I please. I can read your future. I can change it around some too. I look deep into your heart and soul. You do have a soul, don't you, Lawrence? Make your wildest dreams come true. I got voodoo, I got hoodoo, I got things I ain't even tried. And I got friends on the other side. He's got friends on the other side. The car. That's what we call an echo down here, boys. Just <laughs> 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 simple parlor trick. I love Dr. Facilier. He's so great. And actually, while we're talking, uh, I did send you two text messages of me with pictures with Dr. Facilier and Louis. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're from two different parks. One's from Disney World and one's from Disneyland. But every time I see him, I have to take a picture with him because he's just so great. And he's also very creepy. He looks The way he creepy. talks to you and he's like trying yeah. to coerce you into doing stuff. It's pretty fun. Nice. Nice. Well, um, I'm looking at this. Friends on the other side. Metal cover. Oh. Well, we, what have, is to, that? we have to see what this is as soon as, the, as soon as I can skip through the ad. It's uh, Jonathan Young and A.H. Music. I don't know what this is, but we'll check it out. Soon. Don't you disrespect me, little man. Don't you derogate. Or I'm afraid he's about to yell. Your 
I knew he'd go to yelling. <laughs> Daggummit. Sorry. That was fantastic. I could tell it coming. It's like, it's like when um, Marilyn Manson, eventually when we get to talk about Nightmare Before Christmas, when Marilyn Manson does covers for mm-hmm. of Nightmare songs, oh, oh, it's great. It's pretty great. I'm not going to lie. But, I mean, this again, this is that classic Disney, here's the bad guy singing his song. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I do love the... He's got friends on the other side, cause it almost takes his song, and it and it puts it on, on almost in that realm of a spiritual, cause mm-hmm. that sound that, that call and response you know sounds kind of like the old spirituals back in the day, and um, that's called an echo, boys. <laughs> little <laughs> little parlor trick. All right. Well, we need a min- we need to play almost there because this is the one that was nominated for Grammys. And oh, I'm such. sorry. I was going to hit up when we're human because I like to watch okay, him play a little ukulele because that one's probably your favorite. I do like it. Anyway, enjoy your loneliness, my friend. Abinaza. <laughs> Cute, but it's not gonna. Hey guys, I just had me a crazy idea. What if I asked Mama Odie to turn me human? Lewis, you are a genius. Hallelujah. <laughs> If I were a human being, I'd head straight for New Orleans. And I'd blow this horn so hot and strong like no one they've ever seen. What you heard of Louis Armstrong, Mr. Sidney Bechet. All those boys gotta step aside when they hear this old X Gator play. Listen. I like that Naveen grabs all the little uh, twigs and makes ukuleles out of the twigs with webs yep. on them. That's great. Um, this re- I tell you what this reminds me of. And, and I'm gonna be. <laughs> I tell you what this reminds me of, and maybe it's be because he's floating on his back at one point playing a. <laughs> it remind it makes me feel like a, a bare necessities moment. It's a it's a yep. Jungle Book moment. It's a it's a throwback almost to some of the Sherman Brothers stuff. It feels like. In you just like him because he's a big fat alligator. That's true. Uh, you got it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, he's so friendly and he's so much fun. And and two, these bayou scenes, uh, born on the bayou, uh, they really show off to me how far uh, animation had come at this point. This is, it's one thing we didn't really talk about is just how beautiful this movie is. Um, it, it's got the traditional 2D animation like we talked about, but the characters, like when you see the alligators, when you see the snake at, uh, at Mama Odie's place, and you see all these different things, it's that classic Disney look to these animals, you know, with a little bit, you know, a little bit updated here and there. But everything is so clean. Everything blends so well. And there are moments where you can tell they're using that. It's not caps, as you said. It's that new process, but it's not as separated as what it was. And... It's almost like, oh, I'd love, it makes me just realize how much I love 2D animation and mm-hmm. how much I would love to see them be able to go back to this. I know apparently nowadays it's it's more expensive to do 2D animation than it is to 3D, but man, it is, uh, it, 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 it's kind of sad that it wasn't the return, you know, and the resurgence of it, you know, that it was, it was just a, just a moment in time for, mm, for the 2D because it was so good, really Oh, and I forgot about Dig a Little Deeper. That's another one. But let's listen to Almost There. And Dig, because Dig a Little Deeper is the Mama Odie song. 
Mama Odie tripped me out, by the way. She's creepy. She's funny. She's crazy. And she and she has a, Why do all the people have pet snakes? What is that about? <laughs> Cuz she's a voodoo mama. That's just gonna have to wait a while. How long are we talking about here? Ain't got time for messing around. And it's not my style. I want some grandkids. This old town can slow you down. People taking the easy way. I know exactly where I'm going. I'm getting closer and closer every day. And I'm almost there. I'm almost there. People down here think I'm crazy. But I don't care. Trials and tribulations. I've had my share. It sounds like I mean they, as much as it sounds like jazz, a lot of stuff does sound like gospel. I'm like mm-hmm. I could be listening to this mess in church, some of this stuff. Um, yep. And and that and that whole sequence too, as we talked about, you know, it being the one thing they did completely on paper and in the Photoshop and the Adobe After Effects and everything. It's ah, you can do that at home and it looks great. Look at what they did. It's amazing. So cool. Dig a little deeper. Y'all figure out what you need? <laughs> it's just like you said, Mama Odie. We need to be human. Ah, y'all ain't got the same shit with the bone with. Y'all want to be human. But you're blind to what you need. What we want, what we need is all the same thing, yes. Ow. Is the same thing? No. <laughs> you listen to your mama now. Don't matter what you look like. I mean, that's pure church choir going right there mm-hmm. now. Come on. Mama Odie. Don't matter what you look like. She trips me out, though. She really does. Um, Teresa, I, I I don't know how... I mean, obviously, this movie was pretty well received. It was, it was you know, nominated for awards and everything. When you compare it to something, though, just box office-wise, like a Ice Age Dawn of the Dinosaurs, um, I feel like... I. Not that I, I feel like this outdoes any of those Ice Age movies, the ones that I've seen. I, I think it does, but I think that in the you know these two thousands, this two thousand to two thousand ten eleven period, we were stuck in this era where Disney wasn't really doing anything that was blowing anyone's minds. Mm-hmm. You know, it was Pixar that was doing some of that stuff, and we're gonna get to Pixar very soon, but it was that transition to 3d animation and the way that things were going and the, you know, all that stuff. So some of the stuff, I feel like it flew a little bit under the radar, but we are now in the era that we're in now. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Disney is the top dog again. Like they are, they have this period yeah. of time where maybe DreamWorks, you know, some of these others or whatever. But now it's like, forget about it. Disney's just owning it all. Superheroes. Well, and that's what sci-fi. I was saying. That's what I was saying. Even on the animated side of things, it doesn't seem like they're they're destined to trip up anytime soon. I mean, they're the only ones at this point. I feel like that could um, trip. They, they'd have to trip themselves up. And I guess it's always been that way. But it just feels like you know, for the first time in a while, that they're they're kind of solidly on top in in the on the animation side of things too. Mm-hmm. So. That's what I've got about this movie. I loved it. I think it's great, and I think more people should love it. You, everybody really should watch this. It's actually very, very good. So, yeah. Well, what's coming up next? What is coming up next for us? Well, I'm actually quite excited about it because I do like me some Tangled and some Rapunzel and Tangled is Disney's 50th animated film and as I said before that I was going to tell you guys a story about 2D animation the second half of that story because we talked about how John Laster and them started to bring it back second half of that story will be told next week when we talk Tangled because Uh as you can tell if you see Princess and the Frog in Tangled they didn't stick with it Mm-mm. with the 2D animation. So there's a story to be told there. Um, we will be talking the film Tangled as well as the new animated show Tangled Before Ever After. And we will have our Tangled expert, Sarah Woloski from Skywalking Through Neverland with us. Um, she basically is Rapunzel. <laughs> nice. Well, we're looking forward to that and uh, much more coming down the road from Disney Vault Talk. Don't forget, you can send your recipes for gumbo and jambalaya into us. Teresa, how do people get in touch with us if they want to? Send us an email to vaulttalk at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash Disney Vault Talk. Or you can just go to the Geek Out Loud, what is it, what is it? Guardians of the Goldverse Facebook group. That's right. Um, just search for that and you can find it. Or you can go to geekoutonline.com slash groups and you can find it that way. We are on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Disney Vault Talk. I am at Ice Cold Penguin. Steve is at Steve Glosson. And please make sure you follow the Goliverse network of shows at Goliverse. And if you want to support the shows, we encourage you to do so by using the Amazon links, Think Geek links, Entertainment Earth links that you'll find at uh, geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. Also at those uh, websites, you'll see Fandango links. So if you use Fandango to buy your tickets, uh, if you're online, do it. Go to those sites and use the buy ticket buttons before you go to Fandango. And it helps the show out when you do that. And we appreciate you using these things to help us out. Um, that wraps us up for this episode we thank everyone for joining us i look forward to your gumbo and your jambalaya recipes we did have some shaz actually sent in sent me a text Teresa, with a picture of a frying pan and in it was some uh some boxed jambalaya mix and some boxed gumbo mix and then a thing of frozen uh crawfish tail meat and he said that's his recipe wow so <laughs> so uh so that's so it begins But that wraps us up for us. Until next time, I'm Steve. And I'm Teresa. May all your days be magical. And all your wishes come true. I did it right this time. (laughs) See ya.
You can't talk about the Bayou without playing some Credence. 